Pastor Mark talked about in the first week how we address culture today in a challenge of as the church addressing and fitting into a very complex culture. And today I'd like to talk about reconciling fractured families. Families are all diverse and we're all very unique in the fact that we all have one. And yet, I don't know if any of us does not have to a certain degree some level of brokenness some level of challenges within our family units. And if you don't, praise God, right? Let me read for you three passages, and then we're going to go to prayer and ask God to guide us. First, Mark chapter 3, verse 20. One time Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. And soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. John 7, and Jesus' brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. Go to a more popular place, more people. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. 1 Corinthians, this is after the resurrection. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve after that. He was seen by more than 500 of his believers or of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful today for the families that you've given us and the responsibilities to our brothers and sisters, to our parents, to our children, our grandchildren. And how in all of this, you challenge us to show Christ in the midst of our families. And so, Lord God, today, would you give us maybe a fresh, fresh experience with you, a fresh experience of commitment to being in the role of honoring you in our families. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. No family is perfect. Nobody got a license before they got pregnant, right? Nobody went through a class first, although some of you have gone through classes for parenting. Every family has its diverse challenges. Every family is unique. But we can be encouraged because even Jesus had a tough family. All of us have these unique challenges that come before us because sin is just prevalent in our lives. Sin has affected us and continues to affect us. And not only does sin fracture a family, but some of our families have been fractured by faith. That our commitment to Jesus Christ has caused, caused division within our family units. And, and we see even in the end times in Matthew chapter 10, it says, Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And in those end days, he says, I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. In the end times, families will be giving up the Christians in those environments, right? And uh, the conflict around even faith will continue to expand and continue to become difficult. How do we respond to such a complex environment of brokenness in our families? How do we deal with it? Because... It can be difficult, and today I just want to look at not only Jesus' fractured family, but we'll be looking at the story of the prodigal son 
and not looking at the Son, but looking at the Father and saying, Lord, how can we be more like you in an environment that is often challenging in our families? And I challenge us to participate with God in transforming the lives of the people in our families through this concept that I'm just going to call active perseverance. Active perseverance. Galatians 6, 9 tells us, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And that's the encouragement that we have with all of the challenges in our families, not to give up, to persevere. It's never meant to be passive. We need to be intentional around the fact that we are diligent every day, participating in the activity of God in our families. It is an institution God put forward, and he's placed you in just the right place to represent him in your family. You are so important. You are so important. Let me just define what I call active perseverance. It's being intentional to continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty, with little or no prospect of success. How many of you have ever felt like within my family I have little or no prospect of success? Way too many hands in the room. But active perseverance says, I'm not giving up. I am going to be intentional to be Christ within this family, but I encourage you in some areas, you've got to be wise about that. Right? There's got to be some wisdom, and that's what we're going to be talking about around the characteristics of actively pursuing our families. But first, let's go back to Jesus and his response. Jesus, you have to imagine, James, his brother, we'll call him his half-brother, right? Son of Joseph and Mary. He grows up with the perfect brother, right? You think about the jealousy that was probably going on. Jesus never gets in trouble, right? Jesus never sinned. So there may have been some competitive jealousy going on. I, I, he saw him grow through the years. He started seeing the miracles happening. And even then he thought, wow, that's really cool, but did not believe in who he was. Can you imagine that, that fracturing within Jesus' heart? The kid that you grew up your life with, the one that was always around in the home, and there was a fracture there. There was a difficulty there. But it's very interesting, after Jesus' death and resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 15 tells us that he pursued out James. He pursued to reveal himself to James. And I don't know if you know what happens with James after that. We, we don't see any more dialogue between him and James from that point on. But James goes on to lead the church in Jerusalem for the next 30 years. He becomes the bishop of the church of Jerusalem. His faith in Jesus is so strong that at one point the Pharisees pull him aside and they say, we want you to not denounce Jesus Christ. St. Jerome writes about this some 300 years later, that he was challenged to stop following Jesus and not believing that he was the son of God. And James's response says, I never will. So they stoned him and he survived. They brought him to the top of the temple and threw him down until his legs broke. And he still survived. And then they just took a big piece of wood and knocked him over the head and killed him. You think about all those steps the brother of Jesus growing up did not believe, but in an encounter with Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ, everything changes. Everything changes. And I'm here to encourage you today, no matter how 
complex your family is, in one encounter with Jesus Christ, everything can change. Everything can change. So we look on to the storyline of the prodigal son. I'm going to read just 13 verses of this amazing parable. And when we look at a parable, we have to do our best not to try to look at all the little tiny details within the parable, but try to say what is the number one primary lesson the parable is trying to give us and be guided by the lesson, not try to figure out all the little details along the way. But I'd like to look at the posture of the father. Jesus was illustrating, it says in verse 11, to illustrate his point, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide things and move to a distant son's. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, I love that phrase. Don't you love that phrase? just pops. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying to, for, of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your father or your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening up. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, and he is now returned home. He was lost, now he's found. So the party began. I love the posture of the father. He was waiting. I like to think at some place there was a rocking chair on the front porch. Right? It's not actually in the passage, right? But he's waiting. He looks afar off. And he runs in anticipation and expectation of reconciling with his son. Not demanding anything, not expecting anything, but just seeking to reconcile. And I believe that that's a characteristic of what I call the active perseverance. The son is gone. He thought he was dead. You talk about, you talk about hard cases, hard situations. I think my son is completely gone, completely dead, and yet hopeful running when he sees his son. So let me give you some characteristics of actively persevering for our families, actively participating in the activity of God in reconciling our families. First, live with a fresh connection with God. Matthew 22 puts it this way, 
Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. You've heard this one, right? It's that, it's that uh, vertical love for God and the horizontal love for the people around us. So important in who we are as followers of Jesus. But it is the preeminence of loving God first. Right? It's the most important part. If we're, if we're going to truly be Jesus in the midst of our families, then we need to be truly in love with Jesus. Now, I love the structure and the forms that we create around our faith because occasionally when we get a little bit lazy, the structure and the form gives us something of stability. So when we talk about our devotional prayer life, we, we say all the time it's really important be in the Word of God in prayer five to seven times a week, right? Just be that active in the Word. Why? It's not because you always are excited and passionate about it, but you create the structure in which to walk with the Lord. You come to church every Sunday, not just because it's the Sabbath, but it's an opportunity to keep structure in your life. So if you drift a little bit, right, it's there. Pastor Mark and I were talking about you build a structure, but then you've got to fill it with the love of God, right? So often our families only see the structure. And what that structure is to them is legalism and religion. And there's no life there. Right? And I, now I'm not saying we shouldn't have the structure. The structure is so important. The disciplines are so important. But if we, if we don't love God first, there'll be something that's dry and hollow of the faith. Our our kids don't, that kind of touches pastors in our hearts really strong. Uh, often our, our kids don't follow Jesus because they see a different pastor in the pulpit than when they see at home, right? They can't deal with that diversity, right? So, so what we need to do is we need to step into those things with a true love for God. See, we can love our families appropriately if we love God first. Our relationships change when Jesus is first in our lives. When we just try to give our families, we just try to live in the religion, in the hollowness of the systems, it's going to seem hollow. But when we truly are alive in Jesus Christ, everything changes. So first, live with a fresh connection with God. Next, accept your own failings and live a repentant lifestyle. Here's the hard thing that's often challenge for us in our fractured families. Sometimes we are the cause of our fractured families. Right? Like, what's wrong with our families? Well, maybe it's us. Right? Always gets quiet on those points, right? Maybe, maybe you're just a little passive-aggressive. Maybe you're just a little aggressive-aggressive. Right? Maybe we're the, we're the cause of that. And truly living in that relationships of Jesus Christ says, I want to look at myself. I want to reflect upon myself. And repentance is not just going to our families and saying, I'm sorry. Repentance, remember, is that turnaround and change. And you want to see change in your family. Sometimes that change needs to begin inside of us. Where we start with saying, Lord, what is the part I have played in this fracture? What is the part I have played? And come in with complete repentance to God and repentance to that family. And something changes when we recognize our part. 
when we honor God by saying, I've failed along the way here. So accepting our own failings and living a repentant lifestyle. Forgive and forgive again. Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ Jesus, has forgiven us. Bitterness tears apart family faster than anything, right? Bitterness has this way of getting inside of us, breaking apart relationships, separating us. Here's the thing about forgiveness. Being right does not feel great on holidays. We can be right, and the other person can be wrong, but when we're separated, it doesn't feel great, does it? God is challenging us to be willing to forgive. Now, here's the issue with forgiveness. It does not mean you don't have a right to be upset. It does not mean you don't have a right to be angry or broken or frustrated and you told your story and maybe everybody around the room would just go, yeah, yeah, you can be angry a little longer. But that's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus says, forgive. Stop with all of, look at the, the, the language all around that verse, right? Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, right? Some of you have been in family units. It looks like that. I've been in family units. Looks like that. But how do we say, I'm going to forgive as Christ has forgiven me? All right, now I'm going to settle in at something that, I mean, up to this point, the first three points, we're all like, yeah, gotcha. It's good preaching because I've already, I know that. Here's the hardest thing for most of us to experience. We need to release our regrets in it. If only 10 years ago I had done something different. If only 20 years ago I had done something different. If only, if only, if only, and there's a sense of regret and brokenness around that. And I'm telling you today, it's not healthy. Philippians 3.13 says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved, in other words, I focus on this one thing. I put the word perfect in there, perfection. I've not achieved perfection. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. We always read this verse and we talk about looking forward to what lies ahead. We never think about the forgetting the past. Right? But, but so many of us walk around with a burden of regret. If only I hadn't done this. If only I would have done this. If only, if only, if only. Philippians says, leave that back there. That's what posture of repentance is. I'm looking forward. I'm not going to regret anymore. Carry the love for your family, not the burden. This was a hard one because here's the thing between love and a burden. They feel very much the same. It's hard to distinguish the two. 1 Peter 15, 7 puts it this way, cast your cares, your anxieties, your heaviness upon the Lord, right? It's not carrying it. 
It's not carrying all the regret. It's not being frustrated, but loving purely, looking at our families through love of Jesus, not regret, not over pain, not over the burden. I used to have a a motorcycle. My dad at 12 years old thought it was a good idea to buy me a motorcycle, which I truly appreciated. I had a Honda XR75, right? It, didn't, it was not street-worthy, which the police kept telling me over and over and over again, right? And it never would start on its first kick or its fourth or its eighth kick. And once it got started going, but it was frustrating, and I didn't know much about mechanic, and YouTube wasn't around at the time, so all you did is grab Dad's tools and just try to figure it out. And I remember trying to take uh, the, the exhaust pipe off of the front of it, right? And there were, there were like two bolts that were holding it on. And it was old, rusty thing, right? And uh, I took the socket wrench, and it just wouldn't go, and it wouldn't go, and it wouldn't go. And I was prying on it. I was doing everything I could. And finally, I'd seen my dad do it before, right? I took a long length of pipe, right? And I put it over the socket wrench, and I was just, I was going to make it happen, Right? And my 12-year-old self was just all 120 pounds of me just ranking on that thing, right? Until snap! We all know what happened, right? Snap that bolt right off. I came, came into my dad and said, like, what am I going to do now? You know, and he came out and looked at it. And we talked about next steps. But he, he often told me, he, was, he worked at a, a, as like a, he put together toilet paper machines for 52 years in Green Bay, right? And he said, you can't force everything. If you force it too much, it's just going to break. And, and, and that was always been a good lesson to me. But some of us within our family units, right, we carry such a burden inside of us that our only response is just to slip, slip that length of pipe on and just start cranking on it with all we can. I want change. I want change. How many of you have ever done that before? Until something snaps. Push too hard. At some point, we need to say, I'm just going to give this thing to God. I'm not going to carry the burden and the frustration. I'm going to just carry the love. And remember, they often feel the same, but the outcomes are very different. Our response is very different. So we need to renew some hope inside of us. I love the father running to the son. He was prepared to run, to restore relationship. I think we need to renew some expectation of change within our families. I told Pastor Mark, I think it's been nine months ago, I felt like God put something on my heart for for this church symbolically that there are a lot of families that are sitting in a pew, and you look down one side, and there's nobody on that side, and you look down that side, and nobody on the other side, because symbolically, families are kind of broken. I'm not saying that's your family. I'm just saying, I'm saying, Lord God, would you fill up those seats? And I understand my heart. I'm not saying all your family needs to come to Portview, but, but restore those broken things. Restore those broken families. We, we sang about miracles today. And some of you experience physical miracles. I asked this about two times ago that I preached. How many of the room, these are the people, physical miracle in your body, raise your hand with confidence, Show the, look around the room, these are the people who have had physical miracles in their body, praise God. 
Some of us recognize very clearly if we want some major change in our family, it's going to need that kind of level of miracle. And I think we pray for that kind of level of miracle. We say, Lord, I invite you into something I can't fix. And I've been carrying the heaviness and this burden for a long time, but I just want to give it to you, God. This family is yours, not mine. Remember, being Christ in the midst of it. Number seven, be stable, consistent. Be the point of grace. The perseverance of God that we see in the Father is something that I, I, I hope for within my family. I, I was talking to somebody uh, just a couple days ago about my message for the, today. I was just talking about what I'll be talking about. And he said, yeah, that's even in pastor's families, right? I said, yeah, it's in pastor's families. There's nobody exempt from the challenges. But God, God calls us to kind of be that stable, consistent one in the time of need, in that time of opportunity, you are there. Be full of the fruit of the Spirit. Be full of the perseverance and peace that comes in Jesus Christ and the hope that says, I will be ready for the opportunity. I will be ready for what God has called me to be. If there's one thing we remember from Sunday school, all those years of going to kids' ministry, it was the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to read it just to reflect upon the posture of the Spirit of God living in us and the Spirit of God living in our families. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. This is the posture we take within our families, to be so full of the fruit of the Spirit that we're prepared for the very complex things that happen within family. I started out talking about the diversity of our families. I don't know if there's a better word to say than diverse. And then I, I added in the word complex because I didn't know another word to kind of define the uniqueness of each of our lives. The uniqueness of each of our families and the uniqueness of each of their challenges. Did you know that God challenges those in church leadership that says you need to focus on your family before you can focus on this family? Right? You have to focus on your marriage or focus on your, this family. Well, what is he saying there? He's saying your first emphasis is in the first institution. Your first emphasis is your family. And you're their pastor. We're the pastors of our families. I don't know what that looks like for you because I don't know the complexity of your family. But I can guarantee you this, if you give it to God, we may see miracles. I wish I could say we will all see miracles, but we know sin has its way. I think we'll see miracles. 
But you have to have hope. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to ask the worship team to come. Two kind of sermons, the timely and the timeless, right? The one that goes directly to the moment and somebody's need, the one that we all need to hear, kind of the two different focus. I think we're a little bit of both today. In the short amount of time, as a pastor, I've, I, I could look across this room just in the short amount of time that I've been in relationship with, with you, and it's like 90% of us. <laughs> That I know we have challenges, complexities in our families. I encourage you today, in the next few moments, I want you just to give this to God. We're going to sing a song in a moment, but before we do, I'm going to do something that we don't do very often. If you are sitting next to your family, right, I want you to take the hand Go ahead and take a hand. Now, if you are not with family, why don't you just raise your hands in front of the Lord. Take the hand of the Lord right now because he's with you too. And we're just going to offer our families to the Lord, the complexity of those families. And we're going to ask God to do the miracles that we all need. Heavenly Father, all across this room, we face challenges with the people that that we love, the people that you have inserted our lives into, Lord God. And it seems as culture continues to change, the complexities, the unique nature of them continue to change with us. And Lord God, we don't know how to respond. We don't know often what to do. But Lord God, you do. And just like you've healed our bodies, Lord, you can heal our families. So Lord, first we pray for our children, for our parents, for our brothers and sisters, for those who are in relationship with us who are far from you or have rejected you. Lord God, I pray today their hearts soften to you. Lord, I pray today their hearts and their minds would be drawn to your grace. Lord, I pray today something turns. Lord, I pray that all of the prayers we've prayed for them over the years and maybe over the decades, Lord, every single one of those prayers are still chasing them. So Lord God, I pray for just a move of your spirit across their lives. Lord, I pray that you would bring people into their lives that could minister to them in ways that we can't. To point them back to you, Lord God. So Lord God, I pray that even within this week we would hear testimonies and stories from our family members of your work in their hearts. Lord, we pray right now again now for conflict. Lord, some of our families are just wrought with conflict and maybe maybe haven't talked in years or decades. 
And Lord, just the, the concern and the idea of anything coming back together is just, just doesn't seem like it's possible. But Lord, in active perseverance, we say we hope and we believe that you can do something. So Lord, I pray right now that this is a week of reconciliation, of coming back together as families, forgiveness, repentance, Lord God, transformation. Lord, I pray right now for those among us who have been carrying a weight that, Lord God, you can carry for us. And so, Lord God, we cast our cares upon you. That you care for us. We cast the heaviness of our questions of our family on you. When we need a miracle, we give it to you, Lord God. Make us light. See our family in love, we pray. Lord, we pray for